Traveling the Vortex. We've joined Lethbridge Stewart as he discovers the usefulness of a fez in episode number 279. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I'm good. Very well. Did you guys have your fezes with you? Yes. I brought my fez today. It's really a handy, handy little hat. I went running to the closet to pull mine out as I was reading. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys have a good week? Yeah, not bad, but I can't think of anything that I did this week. I got a couple movies watched. What'd you watch? I watched The Kingsman. <laughs> I did finish that. Okay, I, discuss. I really enjoyed he it. He hated it, I can tell already. Um, I It <sighs> It was super violent, but it wasn't super gory, so... Yeah, uh, it... I don't know, it... I'd never seen a fight scene. I was enjoying it until the end, and then it just spiraled into silliness, and I, it kind of took me out of the story, and I lost it, so... Really? Yeah. I kind of like the silliness of it. I did, too. You're weird. <laughs> Keith liked it. I liked it. I liked the uh, as the weirder it got, the more I liked it. <laughs> then I watched Truth. What's that? That's the uh, Robert Redford, Kate Blanchett, oh. Dan Rather film. It was interesting. It was pretty good. It's not one I I if if you remember the events, and I, I for the most part did. And if if you find journalism, especially at that high of a level, journalism fascinating, you'll like the movie. About uh, eight episodes into season five of Clone Wars, and four now episodes into uh, Rebels. Season five is not as solid as season four yet was so far, uh, but I, I, I do like the stories. That I'm in the middle of the Younglings story. I like the Younglings story. Um, and uh, <clears throat> Rebels, it just has been a a plus since the beginning. So, do you watch anything, Sean? Do you watch anything else, Glenn? Sorry. I don't think so. Game, I finally watched last week's episode of Game of Thrones. We kind of we, we, we watched it and it was just kind of going along, it's doing its thing. And I had this moment where I felt oddly vindicated because they've, they've, there have been jokes recently where all of the people who have read the books are now oh. <laughs> out of books. Yeah, they have so, no idea what's coming. So, so, so those of us that haven't read them are in the same boat now, and it's kind of like, yeah, you don't know everything anymore. And, and, and those of you who mainlined it, Glenn, all the way up to everything that was out, and then all of a sudden have to go week to week to week, I'm like, yeah, you're in the same boat. So I, I felt very happy about that for some reason this week. <laughs> and Mel and I, are, I mentioned this off mic, but Mel and I have jumped into season three now of Agents of Shield. Well, not jumped, we've caught up to <laughs> season three of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So. Did you watch any movies, Sean? No, no, just did, just did the TV thing. Well, should we move on to news then? Let's do it. Uh, looks like the BBC is considering a rule change that could move Doctor Who out of its time slots. Glenn, you kind of know more about this than yeah. Most of just us. Uh, from what I read, it sounds like the uh, controller at the BBC is succumbing to some pressure, uh, both from uh, I suppose it's Parliament and the other commercial uh, channels over in the UK. Uh, it sounds like they're all belly aching because uh, the BBC has some very popular shows, particularly Strictly Come Dancing, Sherlock, and Doctor Who, which draw in some very large ratings. And so the idea is to create a rule that would take anything that's popular out of primetime so that it doesn't compete with popular shows on other networks. 
And the idea behind that is because the BBC is a government-funded show, that it shouldn't be putting uh, solid programming up against uh, other networks that rely on advertisers for their uh, uh, programming. And uh, as a result, if this rule goes into effect, they'll basically bump things like Doctor Who and Sherlock out of the slots that they're in now and put them in uh, other slots that uh, commercial television doesn't necessarily need to compete with. So, <clears throat> But commercial television competes with 24 hours worth of airtime. Well, it does, but I <laughs> when think... When are you not competing in commercial well, television? Well, but I think that the, the idea is, uh, even here in the United States, we have what are called primetime peak hours, and uh, that's where networks tend to put their most popular shows, because yeah. that's when people are watching. Because even though we live in a 24-hour world and we do have factory jobs and things like that, the majority of people still work a 8-to-5 job. And so the first thing you do when you come home is you watch the news and then you watch primetime. And that's where all the television is because that's where the most eyes are in front of televisions. So a lot of the uh, networks over there like ITV, they feel like they're unduly being uh, challenged by a television network that is basically paid paid for by the government or by the people. Uh, some of the arguments against this rule is the uh, fact that somebody had brought up that the with the BBC having very good programming, it really kind of forces uh, the other networks to produce very good television. Yeah. So it, up, up if you game. up your game, if you're going to compete against uh, Doctor Who, put out something that you know is going to get more eyes on screens than than even Doctor Who would. And so they think that that's actually a healthy challenge to I, the other I, networks. I, so I that, agree with that. So that the uh, programming doesn't sag or become stale or stagnant. Um, some of the other arguments against the rule is the fact that the people pay for the BBC, so they expect to get their money's worth out of the programming that's on BBC. And if that means putting it in front of a team, putting it in front of them in time that they could, you know, a, a most convenient time for them for them to watch it, then it might, you know, it might as well be there. So, so there are both sides to the issue. Um, it, it, it kind of, it kind of echoes. Things that happen here, where the where commerce always feels like the government needs to step in and, and be babysitter, and I think it's I th- to me I think it's it's stupid. Even though I don't I, th- I don't think that would hurt Doctor Who to move it. Oh, I think you'll still get probably. It I mean, no it what. certainly yeah. would sag in ratings because if it's not convenient, it's it's harder to to yeah. find. It's harder to watch. However, mm-hmm. I don't think that would suppress the quality of television that they're putting out no so. i don't think so either and yeah, the bbc has to rely on those ratings to see if <clears> what <throat> they're paying for is paying off yeah I mean, it seems it all of tv is whether you are governmentally funded or not you're still going for ratings because if your show is not getting your eyeballs they're not going to make it yes i mean that, that's that's the bottom line of tv and to me not being in the uk so i don't know how i'm not as used to how everything works it sounds like some people crying because their shows aren't good enough and people aren't watching it. And blaming somebody else instead of looking at their own product. Yep. It'd be like PBS saying, or NBC going to PBS saying, you got to move that show because you're getting too many people watching but instead of The Voice, which is, if you like it or not, whatever. But, you know. I think you can use that analogy, but it's kind of apples to oranges. Since eh, PBS doesn't get as much government funding yeah, anymore, it's, it's mostly yeah. viewers. Viewers like you. <laughs> But yes, that that would be the that would be the American. Be, it would be. It's, it's not quite the same, but 
I'm just trying to think in only in England, I guess, does this constitute a real argument? <laughs> I mean, I just... Let's be fair, only in the UK. Only in the UK. Yeah. Part of Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. Is it because Downton ended? Is that why they're so upset? <laughs> <laughs> ITV doesn't have any other show to, to put up there? That was their tentpole? Well, they're going to have uh, uh, Jenna Coleman doing that Queen thing. You know, that should be that coming up pretty soon, series, right? Is that just a movie? It's a miniseries, but you know. Yeah, see, they got plenty of stuff. Every little bit helps. <laughs> <laughs> Who, which one's doing Dirk Gently? Is that ITV or is that BBC? Well, I guess ITV. You look to me, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what, is it, what is it, Glenn? You, should, you, you have your don't finger you know on the pulse of, of, of this country's television. No, because I always it. see that country's television years after it's been produced over there. <laughs> <laughs> on pay services or DVDs. Let's talk Turkey. If this happens, if this goes through, how does this affect me? What's going to happen with BBC America in day and date? Probably that's nothing. that's the concern. Well, it, it, it would probably it would likely air earlier on a Saturday, and maybe four o'clock in the afternoon. So, in theory, BBC America could air it sooner, but they won't because it'll still be at prime time. So I'd have a potential three to four hour window for spoilers. Yeah, that's pretty. I much can live with that. Uh, however, really decide well, to move. Ahead. I don't think it's fair, but I can live with without. It. Uh, Sounding the doom and gloom alarm that always seems to come up with Doctor Who is if you've got fewer people watching it, then the BBC doesn't necessarily put it up on as high of an echelon as that it necessarily would. And then you do have the uh, potential of it eventually you know, going away and being canceled because they just don't have the, enough people watching it. So, I wonder um, if the BBC America eyes and any funding from that could well, that, that's the thing that I think helps is the fact that the B, that BBC America does pay a good chunk of, of that because it does well over here, and we can keep it in prime time. And so I, I certainly think that helps, but if the BBC isn't getting anything out of it, even that money coming from BBC America, unless BBC America took over the entire production of it, yeah. who knows? So, yeah, I mean, there is a there is a downside to it. Could potentially be a downside to it, but uh, I think Keith's right. I think that there's just going to be enough support because it does well over here as well. Same thing with Sherlock. Oh yeah, uh, and Strictly. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Strictly doesn't uh, does not come up. It, we have, it does we not, have enough dancing shows. It, well, here. that's that's why we have Strictly Ballroom over here, or not Strictly Ballroom, uh, Dancing, with the, dancing with the Stars over here, because that's essentially our Strictly dancing. Oh, is it, it celebrities was, over there? It was Strictly? produced for uh, here, and they changed the name. Uh, Strictly Come Dancing, I think, was had a little bit too uh, much of a British panache to it, so it became Dancing with the Stars. We dumbed it down for us. <laughs> Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, and it's still just it's not a direct post. export either, though, because we produce our own version yeah. of it, so yeah. it's like a copy of it. Well, it's kind of like what not to wear was a, yeah. a not a direct export, but BBC still got a right exactly payoff. And I, I'm sure that that whoever owns Strictly, I suppose BBC gets got a licensing payoff for being able to knock off that show. Because they wanted to parrot it as much as they could. Because yeah. what what formula works over there, well, they're going like, to bring Just like when they brought here. X Factor over here, it yeah. was literally the same show. Well, when they brought X Factor over here, it was uh, American Idol. Well, yeah, but then later <laughs> they brought actual X Factor <laughs> over right, here. Exactly. <laughs> words so how come there's that. no copy of Doctor Who in the American? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's the other conundrum there. If the 
British t- uh, audience is no longer there, and they decide they have to produce it over here, what suddenly starts to happen, it becomes Americanized. And that yeah. can be, in my opinion, a danger as well. I, because I would agree. I think it has to have that British foundation. You you see all of these different memes and stuff. Is what if Doctor Who had been produced here, and they show all these different people that would have played the Doctor? And I look at it and I just cringe. And it's a whole list of people that I love, actors that I love, <laughs> but I would never want them yeah. to be playing the Doctor ever. Well, shall we move on to other news? Uh, Heaven Sent has been nominated for a Hugo Award. Yay! Yay! And uh, it's for dramatic best dramatic presentation, short form, short form. Yes, uh, it's. Got some stiff competition, including Grimm, an episode of Grimm, Headache, Jessica Jones, a.k.a. Smile, an episode of My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, <laughs> and Supernatural, Just My Imagination. So, yeah, I was, I'm not sure one, what episode of Grimm that is. The so. only one that kind of makes me sad that it's up against is the fact that it's up against an episode of Jessica Jones because I love that sh- show so well. So best of luck to uh, our loved episode. And for all of my friends that continue to tell me over and over and over and over again that if I'm going to start Supernatural I should watch the first four seasons, maybe five, and then stop because the show really Definitely jumped the five. shark and, and, and got weird after that. I point to this article and go they just got nominated for a Hugo. They must be still doing something right. But maybe not. <laughs> yeah. I can't speak to Supernatural because I don't watch it. I used to. I don't currently, so I don't know. Shall we move on to feedback? Do we I have some know. this week? We have some feedback. Yay! Comes from Chrissy. 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 Name rings a bell. <laughs> Chrissy. Didn't we used to know a Chrissy? Yeah, this is a different last name, so I don't... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, then it can't be her. <laughs> uh, this must be a new Chrissy, huh? Uh, she says, Dear Vortex Boys, been catching up some more with you guys this week. While I've been catching up, I realized that this week was your Beyond the Doctor for Christopher Eccleston. So, uh, behind-the-scenes note, she sent this last week and did not come through to us and reached out to us, and so she resent it. So, that's why it sounds a little... A little dated, but we still read it anyways. I have Netflix, and Elizabeth is on Netflix, and it's only two hours, so I could certainly watch it and get some feedback to you in time for this week's podcast. <laughs> I enjoyed this movie well enough. It's not something I would typically watch on my own, even though I do like period drama. And with it also being the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death, it seemed right to watch something about the Elizabethan era. The costumes and set designs for this movie are phenomenal, and the whole cast is top-notch, starting, of course, with Kate Blanchett as Elizabeth. I was afraid that I'd only see her as Kate Blanchett playing a role, like I do often when I see movies with well-known actors, but she pretty much disappears in that part and becomes Queen Elizabeth. As for Christopher Eccleston, he was great as well as the, as well as the other actors. Something I've noticed about the roles he chooses, he rarely stri- the straightforward hero. He usually seems to go for roles where he plays the villain, or at the very least, an antagonist to the main character. Which is what he's doing here. His character is pretty much against Queen Elizabeth, but it was just the politics of the time. Those sorts of things are hardly ever black and white. I also remember Eccleston's part in Heroes. His character there wasn't a bad guy, necessarily. Just kind of a jerk who wanted people to leave him alone. I wonder if that's why he took the role of the Doctor. Somebody who's a hero 
and seen as someone good and moral, even silly at times. Maybe he wanted to try something new. But even then, the Ninth Doctor isn't always happy-go-lucky. He has his dark moments, but they don't last very long. Anyway, those are my thoughts. I hope you're doing well, and that goes for all your listeners, too. And I'll see you in the Vortex. Take care, Chrissy. She brings up an interesting point that I hadn't really thought of until I read this that you know we, we when we were discussing what Eccleson films to, to, to look at and we kind of ran down the list and I was going well he was the bad guy in G.I. Joe or he was the bad guy in 28 Days Later or he was the bad guy and you know it's like yeah he's got he does have a lot of bad guys in there and and maybe as she points out they're not necessarily bad guy just people with a little bit more of a morally ambiguous compass <laughs> that well, yeah. self-interest maybe but antagonist definitely for, yeah definitely is a, is a good description for him because I, I, I don't necessarily would put him as the bad guy of 28 Days Later. I mean, the bad guys are the rage zombies. Yeah. He's just an antagonist that they go up against. I mean, he's, he's just a, kind of a stumbling block, really. Yeah, that yeah, point, really. Because so. every zombie thing needs a stumbling block. Because <laughs> the zombies aren't enough, the you need a human stumbling enough. block. We need to have a, a one guy who's got to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Let's be honest, we've all got that one guy at work. <laughs> <laughs> oh. no. At every chance I get. <laughs> Why don't I have a Periscope account? <laughs> oh, Chrissy wrote in some more feedback. She says, Dear Vortex Boys, one more thing. I listened to Catch 1782 after I sent my last feedback, and I wanted to give it a short review. I really liked it. After all the huge, world-changing, save-everybody-right-now adventures, sometimes it's nice to have a story that features on just a few relatively small characters and their lives. The narrative is more quiet and intimate than other stories, which was fun to do after so many intense adventures. This is a fairly self-contained story that only affects a few people. However, when we get involved in their lives, we feel strongly for them and we want them to be safe and happy, even if that seems impossible. There really isn't an outright villain in this story. The situation is the adversary. Between the death of Jane Hallam and Mel's impromptu time travel adventure, that's where the conflict comes in. Plus, I think it's nice to see the Sixth Doctor worried over just a few people rather than a whole planet. Let's him show a different, more personable side of himself, which is something we often and rightfully praise Big Finish for allowing Colin Baker to do with the character. Also, if you're looking for more six Mel Big Finish stories, I highly recommend The Wrong Doctors. Much later, it's much later in the range, but there was a stretch where Bonnie Langford was doing other projects and wasn't available to do Big Finish. But when she came back and did this story, she was amazing. Without spoiling too much, this story does deal with Mel's first meeting with the Sixth Doctor, but not in the way you're expecting it to. I'm sure you'll get to it eventually. I just wanted to put that to put a plug in in for it, since you three were wondering more about Six and Mel audios. Okay, I am officially done for the week. <laughs> Take care, guys. Chrissy. Thank you, Chrissy. Thanks, Chrissy. Always good to hear from you, Chrissy. Glad that uh, things are going well for you. You had a chance to catch up some. Yeah. Of course, you can send us feedback uh, on our website. There's a Send Feedback tab. Uh, you can also send it to feedback at travelingthevortex.com. We believe we have the issue so, uh, uh, corrected from uh, whatever it was. If you are still wary and worry, you could also, in addition to feedback at Traveling the Vortex, you can CC it to travelingthevortex at gmail.com, and we will make sure we check that email address, too. Of course, you can reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. 
uh, Traveling the Vortex and at Travel Vortex. And we should probably mention here at a good time, the May Goodreads Book Club book is Aramem, The Last Pharaoh. Is that the name of it? Yeah, The Last Pharaoh by Ian McLaughlin. So, it tied with the royal blood and... Holly did a coin flip, and that's the one that was selected. <laughs> so Royal Blood will actually be... Will be June's. June's. Can, can we demand a recount on coin flips and get to, like, <laughs> six or seven of them and, and initiate another tie, is my question. <laughs> Hanging chads. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to read it. It is May now, so uh, they want to get your books out. Yes. Got plenty of time to pick up a copy and read it. You also still have plenty of time to finish April's selection, uh, if you have not done that as of yet, because we do not have it on the schedule until next week. So you don't have plenty of time. You have an extra week, but one week. Did you, you finish it? I did finish it. So if you if you I haven't started it, if you haven't finished it, you, you, well, if you, if you just six, started it. Sixteen percent in. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Ch- two chapters, Sean. Two chapters. Oh. Which part is that? Yeah, I didn't You know, if I know how many chapters are in a book, I can tell what percentage he's done. It's the whole page. You know, I, next time you guys issue. come to me and ask me, so how's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. going, I'm going to say I'm 16% through Season 3. <laughs> but I know how and, many episodes are in Season 3. But that doesn't so. help you at all. It does. No, page, it doesn't. Page numbers don't help. Page I, would, numbers don't I, I would agree with you that page numbers don't help, but... Although I suppose if I know how many pages are in book two, I can kind of rationalize. Yeah. yeah, it's. I think percentage is still better than page numbers. I'm two chapters in, Sean. Sure. Or am I Which three? is a, roughly sixteen percent of that book. So. <laughs> it's exactly sixteen percent actually, because I have to go by percentages. Yeah, but I'm not a computer, so I have to say roughly. You are a computer. I am. You're a human computer. I didn't know that. Yeah, my app says sixteen percent. So, because <laughs> they don't have page numbers. Verify. Anyway, you have another week <laughs> <laughs> to finish that, and then join us uh, in the discussion, and uh, of course, uh, get your comments up on the Goodreads book page because we will be reading them on the podcast next week. So, plenty of time. A week. Yes, a week. A week. Your homework is due next week. Okay. En français. I'm actually ahead of the game on that one. I'm done. All right. Well, let's move on <laughs> to our reviews. reviews. Shall we start with In His Kiss? Since chronologically, that's how that fits. Yeah, Glenn, how do you want to do these? Yeah, chronologically. <laughs> that's the one I don't have. A, that's Actually, I don't think I have a synopsis or two of them. So. Synopsis for that one. I could be wrong. What'd you guys think? I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, a really. Should we give it a setup before? I mean, since you don't have a synopsis, should we make one up? It sort of steps away from the whole Lethbridge Stewart narrative and focuses on another character, uh, which is Jemima. Jemima what's her last name? Uh, I don't think it's Jemima. <laughs> Yeah, it's Jemima. What's her last name? Or Jemima? What's her last Hold name? Hold on, let me pull it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of I thought it was like Shield. I read Gemma, but 
That's Jemima. Um, which I thought was really kind of cool. Jemima's a syrup. It's Jemima, Sean. It's spelled Jemima. It's spelled Jemima. Okay. <laughs> I may say it Jemima, but it's Jemima. Jemima is G-M-M-A. This is G G J M M A. This is J M I M A. Jemima. Jemima. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, I like that it took the approach of uh, from that character's point of view, and while Alistair is still involved in this, it uh, it's really kind of a, a it's it's dark. It really oh, goes really to dark. a really dark place, and it kind of shows us events that kind of happened. Uh, maybe sort of previous to, but along with some of the flashback stories in the Forgotten Sun, and I think it's 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 really really kind of expounds on that whole James as the uh, uh, having the, being influenced by the Great Intelligence, and uh, I, I like the perspective that you get from stepping outside of the story and putting it with another character and the real, the difficulty that she went through in that whole series and them shipping her off to the school when she thought she was, when they, well, when they believed she was pregnant and, and, uh, uh, kind of what she went through, through that whole mess. And that it, it kind of shows you that the players that are involved in this aren't just the only players that were involved with this manipulation and that it really kind of had uh, offshoots. Yeah, it really did. And in fact, I think I, based on this reading this short story, I would love to see them do this throughout the uh, short stories of taking different characters that were affected uh, in different ways and kind of showing us little offshoots uh, to kind of expand that uh, horizon that we had with Lost, uh, the uh, Forgotten Sun. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to see, especially the parts where they're talking about how they don't quite remember James, or they're, they they don't act like they remember James. It's it's really interesting to, to to see how see all of that play out, and then James coming to her, and then her quasi not really romance with with Alistair, yeah. and yeah, it was really well written. It it went on a very quick pace, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. The actual kiss. Uh scene I thought was going to be kind of um, what's the word for it climactic no I thought it was going to be more <coughs> I, I'm trying to say this without offending people that read <laughs> romance novels or or teen teen uh, romance novels where you know you know the the the, the whole awkward kiss and the, the oh, moment yeah. and that kind of thing and it was just it's not my cup of tea but it's really done in such a way that's really compelling and interesting, and you kind of feel the awkwardness between the two characters, and uh, interesting uh, dynamic between the two, and how there is kind of this connection, but there really isn't this connection yeah. because of of the circumstances that surrounds it. So uh, I like that. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so it, it went a different direction. It went a direction that I didn't expect. I kind of felt. It was going that kind of teen romance, and it, it, it really kind of took a different approach on that. I like that. Yeah, it really did. John, what did you think? You were kind of quiet. Um, I don't think I liked it as well as you two did. Um, I liked what they were attempting to do with it. Um, as, as you pointed out, the kind of expanding beyond the original event in uh, Forgotten Sun and, and, and showing the impact on other people, I thought was, was, was kind of cool. Um, I thought it was a little choppy. 
uh, I, I thought it was kind of hard to gauge almost where things were happening because you, you would just get into the narrative flow of a segment and then it seemed like it broke so that we could jump to the next segment and, and I found that very disjarring. Um, well, and, and, and there, there's a lot of it because it's from her perspective you kind of have to read between the lines of what's going yeah. on a little bit too. Yeah, and, it, and it's very... I don't know, maybe maybe I'm at a disadvantage as well that it's been long enough since I read Forgotten Sun that I was kind of struggling initially to where do I slot this and remember with which sequence of events. And it's not a lot of it. I mean, it's it's just enough to as long as you've read the story or the the, the novel, you're fine yeah. with the story. You know, it's 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 not it's like it's a brand new character. Yeah, right? it's not like they're calling back to that one chapter that was so important. So, um, you well, know, I think Jemima is is mentioned in Forgotten Sun. I believe you're right. Um, because she's well, she's the one that they wouldn't let come with her for the, the, the boys' fort. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um. So there, there, there were a few challenges for me to get through that. Like I said, uh, the, the story itself was was fine. Um, I, kind of like Glenn, I was expecting a little bit more of a teen romance with with young Alistair, and I was kind of surprised that we didn't get it. Actually, that it was just kind of this this heck that didn't go anywhere (laughs) yeah um and because of that maybe uh, again my expectations being kind of set down one particular path when it turned dark and she went through a really tough time um from everything that happened subsequently i found myself really despising the intelligence even more so than yeah a great great um foil you know it, it 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 raised the threat level of this thing up quite a bit substantially, which is impressive considering the you know metaphorical fingers in the pies that the thing already has. Right. You know the yeah. way that it can pull strings and things like that, that it could get down to this level of intimacy with uh, yes. with one of its subjects was yes. was was quite disturbing. And so um, you know that was cool because you're you're showing me a new facet to a villain that I thought I had pegged pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I like how they incorporate her art and her talent into it as well. Um, had a little bit of a fear me vibe, <laughs> but not enough. Didn't go there enough to make me to turn me on it because, yeah. uh, as we all know, we're not huge fans of that. But it kind of used the elements of that correctly. Uh, the kind of pictures brought to life, but they're not really brought to life. It's kind of more of a representation of what she's experiencing. So I thought that was cool. I, it, it did leave me wondering why the intelligence was doing this. Why was it doing this to this girl, and what 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 was this in game? Other other than just another point of contact that, yeah. that she, because she had a connection with James, but because it was and he'd lost James, or he the the intelligence had lost James. Maybe right. you know, so you're thinking maybe he was it was reaching out for a new host I think so. almost. Yeah. Okay, I'll buy that for a dollar. Maybe not even necessarily host. Maybe well, but, just but somebody that it could influence. Somebody and, that could yeah. bring it what it needed. Hmm. Maybe right. even trying to get to Alistair through her. I think that was more of the direction that I went. Was I felt like he was using her as a vehicle to get to Alistair. It was, it was one more uh, way to get to his intended target, which was Alistair. Um, he missed the first time with James uh, completely. And then... Jemima was away because I at this point I get the impression that he's sort of weakened at this point. Yeah. And so it sort of helps 
or, or yeah, kind of sort of helps that he's reaching out to anything to get closer to Alistair, and this was one of the vehicles that he was using. Yeah, okay, I could see that too. That's why I, I, I think that it would be interesting to do more stories surrounding the people that that were that knew James or knew Alistair, and find new ways for the intelligent to try intelligence to try to reach out. Um, ultimately, he uses uh, Alistair's mom and. Uh, Arnold in order to lure yeah. uh, Alistair back to town, but it would be kind of neat and intriguing to see if there were other uh, uh, attempts mm-hmm. to get to Alistair before Alistair leaves when he turns 16, I think it was. Yeah, Isn't that when he, is, he yeah, and his mother left? Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Which they do. You would get to see the departure, part of the departure well, in yeah. this as well. Which that was a bit sad, I thought, that they didn't get to say goodbye. Which is, yeah, because she returns just on the day that he's getting ready to leave. Yeah. So it's it's almost tragic in that sense, too. But it was good. It was a nice little read. Uh, it was, like I say, a, a clever way to expound on the events that were happening in the town of Bledo. Uh, and really just kind of give us a little bit more of, of the great intelligence with uh, in kind of a compact uh, story. I would agree. Should we move on to the Black Eggs of Khufu? Yes. I really don't have a synopsis for that one either. Features an alien mystery, camels, explosions, and a great egg race across the desert. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> dun, dun, go dun. First? Um... A lot of fun. Uh, this one, um, again, I, I, I felt this one could have probably been expanded into a full-length novel, and I'd have been quite all right with it, because, you know, who doesn't want to see the brig fight a mummy? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what this, really, I think we were missing mummies. There should yeah. have been mummies. <laughs> we had pyramids, we had these egg things, we had some Russian, you know, mummies that just, just were in the desert, we're already here. But, um, it's no, the it's, brig being Indiana Jones. That's yeah, what really. I liked about it, because we had... Uh, the the story, uh, the cult of the Grinning Man, which really felt like just kind of a cloak and dagger spy story, or no, wasn't that one, or was it? No, what was the one that we said felt like a the one with the underground and and the, the what was the one? Oh, it was more recent, uh, uh, Dogs of War. Yes, Dogs yeah. of War, very cloak and dagger, uh, uh, almost detective spy story. It really had all the trappings of that. This one steps away, and it really feels like that uh, you know archaeological archaeological thriller that, that got real popular. And Indiana Jones obviously is the best example of that. Yeah. But we've had several, you know, King Solomon's Mines, things like that. Uh, Alan Quartermain. It, it. I like the the approach that they took to this to take us completely out of the UK, take us down to Egypt, give us an Egypt story surrounded by uh, the trappings of the the pyramids and mummies and and the tombs and things like that. And I, I agree with Sean. In fact, I kept hoping for maybe stronger hints to uh, Sutek. <laughs> and, and, that, and that this yeah. machine had something to do with uh, <coughs> banishing him to his uh, place on the moon, or on the moon, on, the, on Mars, which maybe that's kind of the direction that the, the author was trying to take with it. But to me, it didn't feel like it went enough, far enough to concrete my suspicions. If it was there, it was so subtle it, was, it may not yeah. have been there. <laughs> and maybe they tried but weren't able to get enough of the, the rights from uh, the author of that story or the writer of that story. Um, but it, it did it just enough for me to go, oh, I'm going to connect that in my head. You know? <laughs> uh, 
but again, I, yeah, it's very, very swashbuckling adventure. I, 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 I liked that. I liked uh, giving us that side of, of Lethbridge Stewart. Yeah. Well. Especially I, when he pushes the car that's unfunctional down the hill in order to catch him, and then when he when they throw their grenades at him, and they basically take the rest of the car out, so he gets a camel and yeah. chases him on a camel, very much like the uh, story that Tom Dexter did for Christmas too, where he's oh, he's yeah. riding down the street with the the horse. Now he's on camelback, you know, <laughs> riding on, between the humps of a camel. I thought that was really cool. I really like that we also didn't really get an answer of what was going on in the pyramid. Yes, that it's well, they the people who built it couldn't figure it out either. So it's just leave it alone. Sort of. That's what sort of left me thinking. I wonder if they were going the Sutek route here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. Yeah, and his his teammate in this uh, the general was it or uh, uh, you're talking about uh, Joel, uh, uh, Cosgrove Cosgrove yeah. Yeah. yeah he was such a great character I like Cosgrove a lot you, just, you, you get the impression and, and, and the, the, the descriptions are there but you get the impression of the guy in the uh, uh, khaki fatigues with the pith helmet and the, the pencil thin mustache you oh, know, yeah. just that, that, yeah. that whole archaeologist look from the 1940s and and 50s and 60s, I suppose. But you kind of get that imagery that you get in some of the mummy films of the archaeologists or those those swashbuckling adventure films where they're digging up in the uh, desert uh, next to Cairo. And, and you know, you, just the imagery there it was all there. Um, uh, I like how uh, Alistair plants the suggestion to the Russian's henchman that you know it doesn't matter what happens to me essentially he's got the power you're kind of next so he kind of plays oh, the henchman yes. off the other guy and i thought that was kind of a clever uh, psychological ploy in order to get out of a situation that they they had been placed in too that was pretty cool and it's interesting too because it's so on 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 both sides of this it's so very much not a brigadier thing. It's not. It's yeah. the Alist- Alistair is one of those guys that just he's trapped in the situation. Man, if only I had a gun. I yep. mean, that's what he, that's what he's thinking. But at the same time, I think it's very much something that would be in his wheelhouse. It's something that he oh, yeah. could pull off. It's something that he would think to pull, especially if he's had an encounter or two with a certain time traveler by yep. this point. In time. <laughs> he, he, he may be adding things to his repertoire. And playing bad guys off themselves. Is, Although you say a couple times, I still get the impression that we he he's only met him once, and that was during the invasion. I didn't nothing led me to believe that this was yeah. further down the line and had encountered him again. Not yet. Yet, yeah, yeah. Um, but familiar enough with the stories too, because he's he's by this time learned much about more encounters that the doctors had well, with. He was, he was in. Um... No, he wasn't. Yeah, well, a web of fear. That's what I'm talking about. That. Oh, you said the invasion. No, the 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 uh, the London invasion. But I meant the the, oh, the okay. London invasion. Okay, the we're, not up to, we're, not, we're, we're not up to invasion yet. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. the London okay. event. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, and considering the the four novels we got of the of Lethbridge Stewart, it feels like a natural growth for the character for him to do that based off the events from the previous four novels. I think. I would agree. Yeah. Because this is set between the two series. So he's already had his gun moment and mutually assured discretion. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Domination. Or domination. <laughs> 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 One day I'll get it right. 
the 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 series as a whole, all of this, and and I'm I'm not doing a wrap up here yet, but because we still have one more story to review, but the series of a as a whole just continues to mystify me in the sense that it's it 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 knows what it, it knows what it is and continues to expound on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And by that I mean telling a lot of different stories that still stay in the same range of where we started with Forgotten Son. And being able to expand on that and give us different takes on the character while staying true to the Lethbridge Stewart character. And I think that that so far it works and it works again putting uh Colonel Lethbridge Stewart in a completely different location, but still giving us the Lethbridge Stewart that we've, you know, grown to to know and love, both in the the uh, Lethbridge Stewart series itself, and without deviating from anything we know of the character from the television series as well. And they continue to do a good job, and this one still continues. I, I do like the fact that. Uh, Lethbridge Stewart's grown enough now that he's not surprised by the things he's coming across. And yeah. he, he doesn't seem to be as naive or or uh, quick to or skeptical about things that are happening. He's, re- he's more ready to accept it. He still kind of uh, is very judgmental and looks at it with a, a skeptical view, but he is ready to sort of accept the fact, okay, well, these eggs... I mean, he figures out where the eggs go in the ceiling for that, obviously, this powered a machine of some sort. I mean, so it's he's he's much more accepting of the fact that there are some, there's more out there, and based on the encounters that he's had up until this point, which leads us to the reason why he's tapped to be the head of unit eventually as well, so... I think they were just Egyptian light bulbs. <laughs> he just screwed him in and... You know. He, he, he did. He screwed him in. The lights came on. <laughs> um, it, it's it's amazing to me that with, with each new installment, whether it's a full blown novel or or short, the the, the guys over at Candy Jar have managed to give us little windows in, into this character and and keep true to who the Brigadier is going to become. And you, you talk about how, you know, he, he's becoming more accepting and he's understanding that. And, and that's a really dangerous one because when he officially gets the third doctor as his scientific advisor, there's a lot of times that the doctor says, well, it's obviously this. And the brig stalls. He's like, nah, it can't be that, really? I mean, and, and so they have to have this whole, will you just trust me? Oh, well, right. And fairly quickly, the brigadier does. He gets to that point where he just, okay, you say it's important, we're going to go do this. And as we were just watching in... Uh, uh, ambassadors of death when you know he shows up at the space complex and then says i need this equipment so that i can build a transmitter and the brig's like well most of it's in japan i'll get right on it doesn't ask really you know okay which is pretty early on in that run and it is pretty early on so i i I like the fact some of it depends on the story let's be honest there yeah well that's true too (laughs) Is, is it required for us to have this big discussion before we get to the meat of it yeah how many parts is it okay but i like the fact that they're 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 moving him from you know, what essentially is the obstinate military mindset roadblock that we get in a lot of Doctor Who stories into the character that we know and love. And they're, you know, opening his mind just a little bit more. But like I said, you you have to be careful with that because you can't blow it completely open and have him become accepting and the brig that we know and love because, well, we haven't quite got to that stage yet. The other thing that I like about the way they're doing these is that it's... They're smaller adventures... 
maybe smaller in scale, but they could still have fairly wide-ranging uh, global impact. I mean, this is, you know, this is stuff that could be you know, potentially disastrous if the Russians had gotten a hold of this particular egg, or if, you if know, they figured out how to work it, or yeah. if the, uh, the dominators had actually... Yeah. <laughs> well, that, and that's what's nice yeah, about I guess the... that one, actually, there was some world-bearing <laughs> events in that one. But... And, and that's what's nice, that's what's kind of, uh, that's what I like about these stories, is that we saved some of the world-ending events for the television show, and we get the events that builds the Briggs character. Molds yeah. him to be who he's going to be. It's almost Torchwood Light that we're we're we're, yeah. we're dealing with an event, and it does have these either supernatural or extra uh, terrestrial well, and, and origins. And when it doesn't have such huge scope, you it's easier to buy as a story, especially considering when you have such big scope and such big threat, you kind of wonder, well, where's the Doctor and all this? Because he normally shows up for these sort of mm-hmm. things. Uh, so when it's smaller scope, you don't have you don't have those thoughts, and then it's just. I don't know, it's just easier for me to swallow. Well, and not to mention, by having the localized events, it also helps with the narrative of history as we know it. Because as as we know, when the London event happens, they have to do a lot of back-selling that, you know, it was just a a localized issue. We had to evacuate the city, but everything's fine. We got under control so that nobody knows that there's this alien threat that's... that's, that's, uh, looming over london or looming over earth and so if you continue to make the events so big that you had to continually back spin or put the spin out there as to what's happening <coughs> then yeah then it would, yeah, it would be exactly. really it, it would be sad. really difficult to to rail that in so by choosing picking and choosing these little localized events that don't necessarily affect everybody on the whole it's still keep it's still able to keep the story constrained contra- constrained and keep it on a uh, track where it's it's very hush hush, you know. Not a lot of people can know about this. It's still well, and, super and secretive. So we have to keep it away from the, like from the, the dominators. It had big big scope consequences if they didn't stop them. But the people involved were so there were so few people that not enough people found out about what actually happened. Right. So there's a nice balance to be made too. I know this one. It was just kind of cool to see the Russians show up. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's as 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 an American. Well, it's so very tropish to get a Russian bad guy in all of our cinema for years. It was always especially during the Cold War. Uh, you know, Russians this, but th- Russians that. That. Was, that was that was very true to the uh, UK as well. Because well, but they, it wasn't until you more, saw something like a Bond film yeah, where they, they had introduced more at them. stake though, because they're so much closer. They're within right. muscle or missile range and and everything. So yeah, it, it, it the Cold War certainly probably had a. If not as much of, I, mean, I think there was a lot more uh, uh, boastfulness between our nation and their nation. But with the UK being so close to the cusp of that, right. it just it, there was probably a different dynamic from them that was just as impactful and as effective. So I would agree. Yeah, and like you we'll said, get more Russians. I'm sure oh. <laughs> <laughs> they always make great moves. And. Uh, I'm sure the Russian people don't agree. <laughs> More of all, all our Russian <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Comments made by Keith Miles <laughs> do not necessarily represent that of the podcast. <laughs> and American stuff, the British make great villains a lot of times. So. 
come on, the British are the best villains. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that commercial. Um, and they embrace it. I like the fact, like you said, that this is one of those, I wonder what we were fighting over. I don't know. <laughs> just, <laughs> But it's important they didn't get it. You, 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 you get set up to that moment, and it's just like, oh, we're not going to find out, are we? And there's a part of me that's completely okay with I, that. I'm... I am I am completely okay with it There's another because part it's it. a short story, and if it had been something bigger and more, I, I would have been like, I want to know more. I want, that's where it could have been delved into a full novel. I, well, I think honestly, across the board, I could have this story. I could have had a whole <laughs> globe-trotting adventure with Lethbridge Stewart going out and you know maybe being on vacation and being roped in and having to go to and going to Egypt and then oh you need to go to Turkey for something and that's where he first meets the Russians and they tail him back I could have had a whole thing of of just this this one could have easily this big spy adventure that oh also happens to feature these weird eggs that then wind up imprisoning uh you know being responsible for imprisoning Sutek yeah I could have had a whole novel with that <laughs> <laughs> and it would have scored like up here <laughs> as it is it's it's like it's like going into the the ice cream parlor and getting a sample se- serving of, a, of an ice cream that turns out to be just awesomely amazing but you didn't have the money in your pocket to buy the whole scoop that's kind of where i feel with this one it was really good man i wish i'd have had more <laughs> <laughs> so i wonder when uh tom dexter's has he written a full-blown novel yet he for has Lethbridge not Stewart? Yeah, not for lethbridge stewart um I want him to write one. I think I have on good authority, and maybe we can clarify this a little later, uh, that Tom Dexter is actually a pseudonym for someone, but we don't know who yet. So So Tom Dexter may have written a full-blown novel. We just don't know. We aren't aware yet. All right. Boy, now I'm going to have to analyze writing samples. (laughs) (laughs) That should be our contest. (laughs) If you can blow the lid off who this guy actually is... (laughs) We'll send you a keychain. Shall we move on to our last short story in this? Let's do it. Enfolded Time. I think this was my favorite of the three. So you don't have a... uh, No synopsis. Well, the synopsis is for the whole Havoc Files Well, then you didn't have a synopsis for this either. Mm -mm. (laughs) It includes a brand new... Never before published story that deals with a dating issue that which plagued much of Lethbridge Stewart time in Doctor Who. Yeah. That's what I got. <laughs> dun dun dun! I don't have a big enough dun 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 in me at this point. <laughs> how Andy crafted this story is just brilliant, and how he he explained the time issue is just absolutely brilliant. It takes. Um, so okay, so I have to set this up. So we we with the older Lethbridge Stewart after Maud went undead, the events of Maud went undead, and he's basically kidnapped by aliens and put in a room with other versions of himself that these aliens have also kidnapped, because a certain time traveler who shall remain nameless, although we all know who this is, has mucked up the timeline inadvertently. Just because he's just parked, by being the, there. just by being there, just because he's left the TARDIS parked on Earth during this time period so much, <laughs> and time has become enfolded, if you will, so that twenty years it's worth, twenty years time. worth of events have happened in a ten-year span, and I just 
lost it. <laughs> I was fist pumping and jumping around in my bedroom as I was reading this, going, "He fixed it! He fixed it! Oh my God, he fixed it!" Because it's what I was saying. We, we've talked about this before on the show that you know, oh, the unit dating years, and it's become a joke. It's become one of those things that they, you know, they even make fun of it on the show. They itself. make fun of it. And fans fight over it, and they think they get something worked out. And everybody goes, well, let's do it this way. And everybody goes, yeah, that's a great deal. And then somebody goes, yeah, but then Sarah Jane says this later. And it's like, oh, yeah, that doesn't work. So then they come up with a new one that kind of incorporates this and this. And it's like, okay, yeah, that works. Yeah, but then Maudwin Undead happens, and that takes this into account. It's like, oh. Nobody, to my knowledge, has come up with kind of an all-inclusive fix it's either you have to assume that this character didn't know what they were talking about or, or, or you know, that this is okay. And I don't like any of those. I don't like thinking <laughs> that, you know, Sarah Jane doesn't know what year she comes from. That's, that's just a, nah, that doesn't work for me. And so to be able to put it out there and do it in such a way that as you start with this book, again, kind of have no idea where it's going. You have no idea what's happening almost. We, 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 Lethbridge Stewart apparently has a son. We get a couple of name drops to, uh, you know, the previous relationships and, and Kate, and that's kind of cool and awesome as a fan. And then he, he meets again, and then whoosh, he's off on alien land with domes and, and duplicates, duplicates and, <laughs> and other versions of himself, but they're actually all him having him discussions. And it was cagey that we, we got young, Colonel that we've been familiar with with from the Lethbridge Tour books, and we got it was even earlier than that, wasn't it? It was it was just after the London event. Yeah, he was. Yeah. but he was Colonel. Yeah. So he was right. um, and then we got Brig, and then we got School Teacher. So the the three periods that we as Doctor Who fans are familiar with in his life are represented here in this conversation, kind of filling in the blanks um, of, of, of what's happening. And I, I kept reading. And I read a little faster and a little faster and a little faster. And I was like, I don't understand this. I don't understand where he's going. I'm just confused. And naming uh, things and dropping dates and changing dates. And yeah. Just, what? Just, what, why does everybody have? And I'm trying to keep it straight in my head. And it's just like, Argh! And I just plowed through it. And then all of a sudden, the alien shows up and goes, this is what happened. And I went, <laughs> The Accord. The so Accord. The yeah. Accord. I like it. I like it. I kind of put him now in there in the... Uh, the the mythos of the like the the elementals or the you know these the guardians oh the, yeah they're yeah. kind of on that level of just you you quite can't place them as a specific species because they are just on almost a different plane or different level well just the technology else. alone to be able to pull off having a dome of twenty versions of each human on earth, yeah. on earth. Within a ten-year time span. Within a ten-year time, the the, the the logistics of being able to pull that off. Okay, you're not the Shadow Proclamation. You're kind of a couple <laughs> notches above these guys. Uh, yeah, the Shadow mm, Proclamation is a police force, though. May, may, maybe not quite an elemental, but close. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I, I I genuinely hope that they will be um, fodder for some book down the line that, that, that we haven't seen the last of them. Well, this I, is I a, love that they're not an adversary. That yeah. They're, yeah. That their their motivations is they see the time war coming. Yeah. And they're fortifying time. Wow. Yeah. What a great way to bring it also to New Who. 
at I the same time. The interesting thing about the accord about this story is that uh, Lethbridge Stewart continues to lead on that he is he's skeptical of them. He's suspicious that they're that they're bad. He's he's seen enough because by this time we've got the 1990 Brig, who is the school teacher, and he's seen enough things in his tenure encompassing Doctor Who and Lethbridge Stewart now that he's very suspicious as to what the motivations here are. And he continues to do that right up until, I mean, it really takes him a long time to be convinced that they really are doing something for good. Mm -hmm. And he mentions that he's met, you know, aliens that have been basically trying to do things for good, but it's always outweighed by the number of uh, beings that are trying to do something bad, yeah. And so I, I thought it was really kind of interesting that 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 Lethbridge Stewart still maintains that defense of is this really what's going on here, or is somebody going to pull back a cloak and I'm going to see what's really really bad here? And so I think that that Andy sort of steps into it that way really well and convinces me that okay, the Accord really is a good thing and they really are trying to fix this and i think we have a little bit of that suspicion going into it knowing especially that we knew that this was going to fix some of the uh or, or be an attempt to fix some of the uh, uh unit dating controversy uh or at least an explanation for it and i think andy does a great job i thought that uh, I, I was the same way going through that whole conversation between the three versions of the brig i kept thinking oh yeah okay these are numbers that could to be quite honest with you, every time unit dating comes up, I always avoid the topic. <laughs> and the reason being is because, number one, my, my mind memory isn't as steel trap as some people that know all these details about how Sarah Jane mentions in Pyramids of Mars that she's from the 80s. So she had to have been as of a certain age when she was with the fourth doctor. That means that that would have taken place in the 1970s when the TV series Real Time shows. But if you go to Maldron Undead, where he talks about. Uh, retiring at a certain point then it doesn't match up with what happens in the two uh, the five doctors when he <laughs> the second doctor comes to see him when he's uh, retiring at that point and then that pushes everything back because then it's even stated in the invasion i believe that it takes place in 1979 so it's it, yeah I, i've always just kind of stepped back and said okay i i think terrence Dix took the approach if you just don't mention it yeah <laughs> and so that's always been my thought on that but then again, I'm also one of those kind of guys that wants all his ducks in a row, and he wants all of his <laughs> things to connect, and he wants everything to fit in. I'm, I'm going to have Andy now write a story. I'm going to commission him to write a story. To <laughs> I'll take care of Shaka Doctor. But I, I want him to write a story that fixes all of those wonderful TV uh action comics and TV and all those <laughs> wonderful things that I think should fit in the universe as well because I want all of my Doctor Who to exist in the same universe somehow even if you do some clever maneuvering like is done in this story and so I just I was very 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 pleased with the resolution of this and being able to to have the three brigadiers have the conversation and kind of catch the reader up on where the problems are, simply catching the reader up. You don't have to go to Maldron Undead. You don't have to go to Bearman's Marge. You don't have to go to the invasion. You yeah. don't have to go to Web of Fear to find out where all these dates are. 
he lays them forth with just mentions of, well, I did this then and I did this then. Well, but when this doesn't match up and then the realization that Alistair comes to going, wait a minute. Yeah, you're right. We're missing a two year gap there. And so I really kind of I, I like the way that he presents it in a simple form by having a conversation by the three versions and then steps in with the accord to explain, well, this is what this is exactly why. Excuse me. And as Keith pointed out, the, the icing on the cake is, is by tying it in with the time war. But that's also the the, the, the rationale. It's the justification for doing this story. Because, oh, yeah. yeah, you could do a story that fixes unit dating. Sure, you know, just for the sake of fixing unit dating. And we'd all go, yay! But the fact that, no, the reason that we're spending this much time and, and possibly money and effort and having all these domes filled with people in order to track down where this convergence lies is because we're trying to fortify time knowing that it's going to be torn asunder later. And it may not survive unless we fix this now. Especially at such a weak point. Oh. Wait, wait to just... Put a giant bulwark up underneath that, you know, what a tent pole to just yeah. go, yep, it was important. Yeah. All the, all the fan wrangling about we need to figure this out because, well, because, as you know, yes, and because it's important. Yeah. <laughs> I just, that, that was, that was the key for the whole thing for me. Was just, and, the, and then the fact that he remembers all of that in the accord and then can go forward and be okay, sort everything out after the fact well and it, which makes it, the jokes still work yeah <laughs> you know, yeah the genius of it but also what it does is it yeah it, it fortifies what is said later in the series when kate has all of this information now and and kate always seems to have sort it, it's played off as a joke but kate always seems to have that timeline of when events happened we get oh, little yeah, the, glimpses of it on the board and we get all this and so you kind of wonder well there must be some definitive fix for this because eventually units got all their squares in a row they've got all this stuff in the vault they've got all the so by leading us into him getting the phone call from geneva and getting having to go take care of some of the redacted material that is uh uh wrong or, or showing some inconsistencies he realizes that okay i've got to get unit back on track now as far as how these all events all all work together and so he kind of leaves us with the idea that the the unit we know now today is fixed because he steps <laughs> in because now he suddenly remembers all of this things that the, that the accord is fixed he's able to go in there and kind of re reroute all of the information that needs to be in the right uh uh line that it's in so yeah. it, the, the joke still I mean, we got the joke obviously in Suntaran uh, we also got, uh, obviously got the uh, joke in the Suntaran uh, two-parter and then it, it's later mentioned too in Day of the Doctor yeah. so all of that kind of works without having to just say well, we're just going to say we're just going to do it as a throwaway joke line and, and just not deal with it now it kind of works up to that point as well yeah it really does yeah it's it's the best possible fix because it's not just a band-aid it's not just a oh i made a joke out of it it's not just a thing it's something that in, it managed to in, encapsulate and corroborate everything that we've seen everything that we've heard every version every story and still make what would have been a throwaway line tie back into it and work with that as well yeah. so i and it's well written it is oh, very well, very well <laughs> written. It's, it's not just that he fixed it. It's that 
you know, he fixed it well. He fixed it entertainingly. I mean, on uh, each each version of Alistair sounds like the correct version too. Yeah. yeah, like the way they're written, you can tell who is who. It's easy to keep track of them. And speaking of Andy Franco Allen, we have a guest on this show. Andy is joining us all the way from uh, the UK. Are you in Wales? I am in Wales. You are yes. in Wales. Yeah. Uh, joining us all the way from Wales is Andy. Thanks for joining us, Andy. Yay! Yay! <laughs> well, we're talking a little bit about unit dating this week, and we just finished reviewing uh, your short story in the Havoc Files, which is the newly released uh, The Enfolded Time. And yeah. It brings uh, Lethbridge Stewart together with, well, Lethbridge Stewart and Lethbridge Stewart and Lethbridge Stewart and Lethbridge And uh, <laughs> introduces, I think, is a uh, new entity, right? We've never had the Accord before, right? No, never, never, yeah. never. So uh, we wanted to talk a, bit, a little bit about unit dating. And I think, first of all, we're going to uh, uh, sing your praises on this story because we've all given this a wonderful review. Oh, we gosh. all really, really like this. And uh, I th- first, first of all, I think it goes a long way in uh, kind of tying up the ends, or at least kind of enfolding everything into itself. Hey, uh, I think it does. Sorry, a good I saw job what you did there. Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think it uh, does a good job of filling that gap that I think everybody's been real uh, hesitant to kind of delve into and try to figure out a way. And I think this nicely does that. Yeah, um, that's the thing, isn't it? Uh, lots of people have sort of dip their toe in unit dating, but nobody's just said, you know what, let's try and work this out. And of course, as I'm sure you know, when people do try and work it out, they ignore certain things that don't fit because there's no way, no way to make it fit without it being contradictory. There really isn't. So I thought, what the hell? <laughs> I did it. <laughs> That's what's so brilliant about it is you it and it's done in such a way that it makes sense and is rather simple hmm that's what i figured because at the end of the day like when i was talking to i'm gonna say my sean but that sounds really weird uh, <laughs> um explained to him the concept a few times um and he's like oh yeah that's perfect i goes yeah because the whole point is you cannot tie all this evidence together because there's always something that contradicts always absolutely every time and the whole, I figured the only solution is that it does contradict. That's the kind of solution because you cannot, and I know, and I'm sure there's thousands of fans out there who deep down know it cannot all fit together, you know. So I thought, why not make that a virtue? So it's what I did, and apparently quite well. It does. It works yeah. real well. And, uh, well, I think it was uh, something I read about uh, Ter- Terrence Dix always said that he didn't put dates in any of the stories that he wrote. Mm. And the reason being is the fact that we start off, I think it's, is it the invasion or is it Web of Fear where it is actually yeah. dated? And yeah. they say the date. And so what it does is from there on, when you're writing stories in the 1970s that are supposed to be taking a place after this event, it yeah. really doesn't reconcile itself. And so Terrence always said, well, we just won't say the date. We'll just, I just, nothing that I write will have the date in it, so you can't pin it down. Yeah. And then yeah. Modern and Dead comes along later. Man. And messes all of that up. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I and, mean, I think Prisoner Mars does it first. 
yeah, it, it, because uh, Sarah says she's from the night from 1980s. She's from yeah, the 1980s. a lot of people, a lot of fans still come up. Oh, she's rounding up, and I'm like, honestly, like for you guys, if you guys would say, oh, I was born in, they're like, when you're born, you're gonna say, oh, 1970, but really, you're born 72, 71, whatever. You're not gonna round up and say 1970, are you? Right, exactly. <laughs> You know, if you got lifted from time, you're not going to say, oh, I came from 2010? So you mean 2016? Oh, no, no, I'm rounding up 2010. <laughs> Who says that? Doesn't quite s- work. Seriously. Huh. <laughs> Especially a journalist who's all about accuracy. Just... Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh. <laughs> it's Brian being a fan. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to thinking about writing this book. How long ago have you been? Has, I mean, obviously, unit dating has been bugging us for years. But right. how long ago yeah. did you kind of sit down and say, "Well, wait a minute, I think I do have a way to kind of shore this up." I've had many ways over the years, but I always did what so many did, and it's like, "Yeah, I just ignore that bit because that doesn't really make sense." Um, this one, though, I guess about mid food last year. Because originally it was going to be a novella. It's going to be much longer. I was going to really go into the whole bit of when he wakes up in this strange world thing and he'd be surrounded by what he thinks are clones of himself. And I was going to explore that a lot, lot more before we got to the solving of the mystery and really build up the mystery of what's actually going on. But then we was doing the hair fast. I was like, now is the time to do it. But obviously I don't have the time I'd need to write a novella of it. So I was like, okay, if I condense it to the core elements, then I can still get a nice short story out of it, which is what I did. But yeah, I think about half of the last year is when I thought, you know, this is pretty much a solution, I think. And if this can go through the entire fandom, then it may eventually become the official solution, which, you know, would be pretty cool. I think we need to start campaigning now. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm purposely, and I'm sure you know, because you guys obviously watch the new series, Several times I've mentioned the whole um, dating protocols for unit now. You know, it could be the 70s, it could be the 80s, depending on the pro- protocol. So that's why I deliberately made the, the last line of and for the time, saying, right, we need new protocols. Because like, you know, <laughs> thank you, Moffat, you give me a nice in there, so I might as well use it. So well, We were talking about how this not only goes back and fits that, fixes that retroactively, but you do nicely lead into, I mean, they've made jokes. Uh, the Sontaran two-parter, I uh, can't remember, the uh, Sontaran Strategium, and uh, what was the other one? With the Atmos, Poison Earth. Uh, Poison Earth. So Hi. they made, uh, I think the 10th Doctor makes a comment about the, uh, was that the 70s or the 80s? I can't remember, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. They, they mentioned it there in the new series, and then as you said, it's mentioned in, I believe it's Day of the Doctor, when she's talking yeah, about the uh, protocol. Uh, it's made, it mentioned in Death in Heaven too, I think. Might have been. It might have yeah. been. Well, um, yeah, it's been mentioned a few times since. But yeah. we just talked about how it was really nice that this kind of leads up and leads us into sort of... Uh, with Lethbridge Stewart obviously getting the call about the discrepancy and yep, him yep. realizing, okay, he's, he's just now remembered everything that the Accord has kind of told him and uh, or informed him on. And so for him to go forward and be the one that kind of is the one that sets up those protocols is really kind of a nice tie-in for a bridge from the old to the new. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're going to bridge anything, then obviously you use the only man who's there to do so, really. You know, since I can't use Sarah or anybody else... Because that would be ideal. Because obviously, it's a tough one. Because like we kept saying, if it works, then we need somebody outside the problem to see it, and that became the real complicated bit to work out. 
So I was like, well, if I take him out of it, then maybe you can see it. Because, yeah. But, yeah, if you're going to Bridget, that obviously makes sense. Bridget was the only one who's actually around for the entire thing, you know. Who's poor guy got a very, very mixed up life now, you know, thanks to the fact that Ian Chester wasn't available for Modern Undead. If, it, if that had not happened, then we would have been fine. You know, yeah, it really it's just that William Musk wasn't, yeah, William Musk wasn't free, and then it's like, oh, we'll just make it a brigadier. All right, then. Thanks, JMT. So you said you had some ideas in the past. Did anything stick in your head on besides bringing in this unfolded time idea? Do you have anything that you kind of got there near near with that, that didn't quite work out? Well, I did um, write this short story for one of the old short trips when the BBC books were doing them. Uh, called Worlds Apart, which had Brigadier from the main timeline ended up in a parallel version of a history where it turns out that Morden and Dead was in a parallel timeline, which, you know, and, and Doris and blah, blah, blah was all in it. Proper fanish moment. But they got back to me saying, I really enjoyed it, but unfortunately we don't think it fits because it's obviously just designed to explain the unit dating. And I'm like, well, yeah, but frankly, most of the short trips are just to explain continuity stuff anyway, so what's, you know, <laughs> but clearly they didn't want to just deal with it, so I get that. You know, I don't think many people just want to deal with it head on, which, you know, I can understand because it's a bit of a headache. Uh, I don't know, have you guys read um, Lance Parkin's A History? Uh, not yet, I've actually got it at home, but I haven't read it yet, no. Yeah, because in that book, so in the first version, he had a massive section trying to explain the whole unit thing and try and work out how it fits and how some tax tax discs, God, those words, they don't, you know, they'll say the date that it's filmed on and then you've got stuff that suggests it's in the future and then blah, blah, blah. And he had, you can see, he had a headache trying to make it make sense. <laughs> I can imagine. So, yeah, and that's just taking the fiction as it was about making it a fiction piece you know, reference piece, so making it work in the fiction, I'm not surprised New Who was just sort of, you know, it's like, well, 70s, 80s, depending on how you look at it. So that's a good line to take. You know, it makes sense. And it's a nice in-joke for fans like us who go, <laughs> and then you explain to everybody and they're like, what? Yeah. But yeah, in the time, obviously, it was one for the fans. If you're not a fan, then you'll be like, I don't idea what you're on about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, Keith, people know now. So Keith and I just watched um, uh, Ambassadors of Death for uh, Friday Night Who this week. Good story. And um, it, it's one of those that I think kind of lends to the problem in that mm. it's, you know, very obviously in the 70s era, but yeah. we've gone to Mars and we're coming back from Mars. <laughs> And we've got a reporter telling everybody, yes, we're on the way back from Mars. So you start to throw out things going, well, it's not a secret mission. It's not a this. It's not, I mean, how do you, and it's, it's one of those things that this kind of very nicely hand waves that away and says, yep, took care of that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, the but, interesting thing is, um, Sadie's book, Moonblink, which obviously is out soon, which is written on printers and that, um, that kind of touches on it a little bit as well. So it sort of suggests that, you know, the, the Mars missions already started by the time of basically Bever but obviously very secret then. And the Brigadier, in this story, well, Brigadier, the Colonel, this is when he first hears about them. He's like, what? We've got men, we've got probes going to Mars? I mean, what's all this bit about the moon landing then? What, 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 what? So I draw attention to the fact a little bit that, yeah, there's obviously a contradiction here. 
which obviously feeds into Informative Time later or earlier, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> so, um, there's, you know, once we, made, once we made a decision, right, this is what, how we perceive things, this is what we're looking at, then I've told all the authors from now on, literally do it as you were, as it would have done back in the sense where, well, not deliberately, but so we've got to do it deliberately, is that how, although we're set in, say, 69, 70 or whatever, put little bits in that seem slightly out of sync. Like might just say, hang on, but that's sort of 1973, that event. But you're saying 1970. You know, so it kind of echoes the mistakes they made on TV, but do it sort of deliberately. So again, fans will be like, oh, I see what he's doing. <laughs> but non-fans will be like, what? <laughs> but won't but, get any less enjoyment out of the book because they're really solid stories. And if you, even if you don't pair them to the Doctor Who universe, they stand alone and they tell their own cohesive story. So it won't matter, but the fans will get those little nods That's to the, the inconsistencies. It's, there, it's not in your face. It's a little subtle thing where they may be reading a paper about a bombing in London and people who know their history would be like, that wasn't 1970. <laughs> but it won't matter because it doesn't affect the story. Right. It's just a little thing just for, just for the bigger picture, if you like. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of fun to do. You know, some of the authors are like, oh. I said, just, 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 just go with it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't work, it won't, you know. Anyway, enough about me. <laughs> well, do you wind up doing a lot of that in the editing of the series? Do you go in and kind of say, hey, add this in after yeah. the fact they wrote it? Yeah, I've told people now, because now that it's all, now we know exactly what we're doing in our sense. The people who write a book, say, for instance, the next half of this year and early next year, I've told them early on, because it's actually part, in the, in the Rise guidelines now, it actually tells you what the Info Time Principle is. So be aware of it. So if you want to throw a little apparent discontinuity in there, then you know, go for it. Just don't make it too in your face. Because we don't want to detract from everybody else enjoying it, obviously. You, know, you want to get as many people to read it and just enjoy it as much as possible. What's your biggest issue with it, personally? I think that the the Maltron Undead thing has always bothered me with the fact that we're so far along and we call back to events that have happened that, that were obviously done differently anyway because, well, I can't remember. Was Maltron Undead was before or after? Oh, it was, it was actually before the Five Doctors. And so by the time we get to the Five Doctors and we go back to the brigadier's retirement and the second doctor showing up, we've already sort of contradicted ourselves at that point. And you know, so, it's funny you say the retirement because I know a lot of people say that, but I always looked at it as a reunion thing. They had a little reunion post-retirement as opposed to his retirement bash. Because I've always watched it and looked at it as after Morton and Dead for him. I guess you can look at it that way, but... So you're saying he's already been retired from Unit? I, yeah, because he doesn't look any younger. He's not got his dark, dark hair that he had in the earlier sections. That's, That's true. true. So I figure, and he's got his mustache back. So I've always looked at his post modern and dead. Why is why he suited so he up? He doesn't recognize Turlo, which is interesting. Yeah, and why has he suited up? Although we had the whole Blinovich limitation effect hack there. Maybe that could have affected his brain. Yeah, we just don't know. Yeah. Uh, that makes no sense. Can't anyway. touch yeah. each other. <laughs> uh, well, but then why is he? Why is he suited up? Why? What would be that? Well, he's not. I guess he's in a suit and everything, isn't he? He's left the office. It's not a uniform. And the second doctor makes reference to the 
redecorated office and everything. So I guess there would have had to been some time passed for this new guy to have redecorated. You, you can argue because Crichton at that point, he's still Colonel Crichton, not Brigadier Crichton. Yes, yes. That would possibly suggest that, well, yes, but you don't have to be a Brigadier to command you now, I suppose, technically. You know, you could be a Colonel still. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the fact that he's still a Colonel could lend to the fact that it's actually the retirement. But I don't know. The fact that Cordy's hair is a lot grayer than it was in the 76 section of Morden suggests that it's not. But I don't think they really thought about it, to be fair. They're like that. <laughs> we, talked, we talked a little bit on it earlier, and I've always sort of – it's been one of those things that I've always thought, okay, someone will fix it. Someday we'll have a definitive answer, and now we have. But well, well, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's always it's been one of those things. Like, people be like, "What other crap?" <laughs> <laughs> There's always that chance, but I don't believe so. Um, but I've always been one of those people that just kind of sets it aside and thought, you know, this is always going to be something that's just an end joke with fans. Mm. And so to come and hear something now that really does put a good or reason for what's happened and I think what I like best about it is and here we are praising your book again but uh, what I like best about it is the fact that it's really inadvertently the doctor that has caused this uh, issue well again it's one of those things that I'm like well you know I'm trying because obviously I've got the explanation for it but then I'm thinking okay we still need a cause and I'm like well It'd be fun if this is actually the doctor who caused it because we know it's back in the old days, his TARDIS was very much out of order. So, you know, let's make that a thing. And of course, it's a nice in joke for fans saying the um, discontinuity is only the old series. You know, since he's, since he's repaired his TARDIS, and you know, since the new series began, everything's cool again. It's only because of it. So it's kind of a nice. If fans, well, they will now because I've said it, but if they get it, then they know I'm just sort of saying, yeah, it's only the old series, but no one knew who it's okay again, you know, so yeah, it's nice to do these kind of silly, fun, family moments. And as I say, because the book was written, well, the story was written for the Habit Files, which is clearly only going to be a fan purchase, really, anyway, I figured I could just do a little bit of a fan thing as opposed to doing a thing that has to appeal to as many people as possible. So... Which is nice. There's a bit of freedom there. Well, that is until I go at it to TARDIS Wiki, and then everybody gets it. All <laughs> <laughs> fans get to see it anyway, so that's okay. You know. Well, the theories, you know, obviously they're going to post uh, the book itself, but, yeah, we're going we're gonna to add to it. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be fact. Yeah, it will. It will. Um, and, of course, as many people have asked, I'm sure you guys have heard people ask, it was like, how are other people going to read it who haven't bought the book because obviously 300 people that's not a huge section of fandom so we are obviously looking into ways to get out there beyond because it's too potentially big a story for it to just be narrowed to only 300 people so obviously we're trying to find a way that more people can read it that's good. That's they good. will not they will not leave us alone otherwise <laughs> <laughs> get that you know it's 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 a big thing to do for such a small audience so we will get out there somehow We'll find a way. I've always thought it was funny as as a fan that mm-hmm. we've had the Earth destroyed by solar flares yes. no less than right. three different times yeah. in a series. <laughs> and nobody has a problem with that. But unit yeah. dating, you just say unit dating, and everybody goes, ah! <laughs> <laughs> freak out. Like it's this 
this big deal. And it's like, just just let it go. Just let. Well, let you it know, go. we it were going to. People just know. I got to pull this thread. Pull this makes sense. <laughs> How can that be 75? That's nonsense. <laughs> See, the funny thing is, if you take everything at face value, literally at face value, Web of Fear has to be at very least 1975. At the very least. Because um, Travis says it's. Oh, about 40 years since I last saw The Doctor, which was 1935, very categorically. And then you got Invasion, which is about four years later, because the brig says that. So straight away in 79 already. And then 1980 for Sarah. And then 1976 for the Brigadier. It's like, whoa, hang on. Okay, we've really got a problem here. You know, and that's just the basics. I mean, there's much more to it. And then New Who's kind of compounded things because... Um, Sarah Jane Adventures have said several times that Sarah was born in 1951, which means, and she's also categorically 23, which means a doctor because it serves for an invasion of dinosaurs, so that's got to be 74. So, are we now saying that from Sarah's doctor for six years? It's like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. So, there's six years somehow between Time Warrior and Terror of Zygons. How does that work? You know what I mean, it's just I mean, lots of off-screen adventures. Yeah, it gives yeah, uh, authors a way to uh, fit more adventures in there, I suppose. Well, in the yeah, series. It's very. I mean, but we're but also that. we're also talking about a show about time travel, though. So yeah, you know, a six-year area could be mm. six years of Earth time, but well, traveling with the time of Doctor could be obviously yeah. smaller, smaller well, scope than sure. that, or larger yeah. scope than that as well. Well, see if this if it's Earth time, then that suggests because this it has to be Earth time because Harry <coughs> is from that time and he leaves at the end to return to his work. That's right. So if he's been away for six years, <laughs> and it's okay for him to just pick up his job, no problem. That doesn't ring true. You mean I it's, when you start pulling the threads, it's like, oh wow. Well, basically. we assume he put, took back his job. I mean, he goes and does stuff in Terror of the Zygons, but then we don't see him again. Well, no, we see him in Android Invasion. Well, and yeah, working. Android Invasion. Briefly, yeah. This is the thing. Everybody's like, I mean, I do it to you. Like, oh, no, but so-and-so. Then you suddenly think, and then you see the next, and you're like, oh, but then. And then the thread gets pulled again. So every- in fairness, he does work for Unit. So coming back from a six-year leave of absence, they probably exactly. just chalk that up to, that. Eh, okay. But We're not fairness, sure when this event happened. We're just going to file it away and say, Harry's back. Oh, okay. Yeah, Harry's back. Yeah, okay. Cool. Just carry on. No problem. You look six years older. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, I suppose it's like um, Ian and Barbara. You know, they were away for quite a while. And they had to just write off. Oh, we eloped together for two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, that was going to be my example is when they pop back yeah. up two years later and nobody says anything. It's like, yeah, well, oh, okay. we don't know that, do we? This is the thing. We've never caught up with Ian and Barbara on TV since. We, we honestly, we don't know what happened. That's to true. Him. That one wasn't as easy to they pull. They could have got so much trouble. Yeah, yeah. It's just when it comes to the Brigadier and now Sarah and anybody from that era, and it just falls apart straight away. You know, if they if they hadn't done more than a dead, we could have maybe got away with it. Well, you know? or at least ignored like, it a little longer. Morgan. Sorry, or at least ignored it a little longer. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. 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 Uh, I was telling the guys uh, before we brought you on that I think my my next thing, my next project for you, I want to commission (laughs) you to, um, you know, all those uh, pesky TV comics and action and that uh, from the first through the fourth Doctor era, 
that uh-huh. don't quite fit anywhere in uh-huh. you know the continuity. I think mm-hmm. that's my next project for you is I want you to make those work. Okay. <laughs> You'll get right on that, right? Uh, I tell you, it, imagine if we actually had a license to Doctor Who itself. We'd be dangerous. <laughs> I, I'd be like, right, you know, let's sort this crap out. Yeah. The thing is, I think you know, the solutions, the ones that work are the obvious, easiest ones. Now, I think people overthink things. You know, when you think, well, okay, if if there's a contradiction, then you make it a virtue of the solution, you know, as opposed to trying to make it fit. Because well, is that the problem? Uh, Are we overthinking it when we do this? Because what you did is you kind of took a simple story in mm. twenty, thirty some pages and really gave uh, a very good explanation mm. without having to make it too high minded or too surreal. Yeah. But also, I think another thing that, that the story does really well is without actually giving us the moments from Maldron and, and all these different events, by just simply having the three brigadiers talk about certain dates, I think even yeah. the average re- reader can look at this and say, oh, yeah, okay, that yes, there is a condition. Well, yeah, you don't need a- to um, know the specific incidents, but the date side of it, like you say, because once it's, so you're saying that 76 is before 81, how does that, you know, all this kind of nonsense. Um, so, yeah. Um, I don't know, are we overthinking it? I th- with the unit thing, it's hard not to, because it's such a mess. And it is, on the surface, it is, I mean, it's, as I say, almost every bit of evidence contradicts. Basically, after uh, invasion, it's just pure contradiction. You know, because at least invasion, you f- it feels like it might be slightly in the future. I mean, Spirit of Space kind of does too. Well, I'd say most of season seven probably does, and then from season eight onwards, tell the cyclones on, tell the cyclones, tell the autons only yes. onwards. It all starts to um, unravel because the cars, everybody else's dress, tax discs, you know, whatever calendars, all of it's like mm, that doesn't seem like it's the future to me. It's like, because you might have noticed, I put this line in the story about how sometimes it seems like one month follows each other almost with less than a year passing, because that's a reference to, um, oh, Day of the Daleks and the Time Monster, yeah. which are bookends of the same season, right. both set in September. Right. <laughs> Hang on, what? <laughs> so this is like the next day? What? Hang on, what? Right, right. So again, you know, even, but... You know, like Terrence says, at the time he wasn't thinking of that. That really wasn't his problem. Right. You know, he's just writing a script. He, all, he, all his problem is making sure he had a TV show to show each week. Right. And beyond that, not really much his problem. Well, at that point, they had no yeah, idea that we'd be talking about this 40 years right. later. Right. The, the sad thing about that is, I don't know, man. Now, of course, I write this sort of stuff, and I'm very aware that potentially this stuff will be discussed I've written for decades to come <laughs> that's weird you know what I mean I'm just sitting there for a few hours a day or whatever just doing a bit of work but this stuff could be discussed for so long yeah. so you can't it's a lot of pressure when you once you put it out there you just can't think of it that yeah. way sorry you just can't think of it that way well no well you kind of hard not to when <laughs> 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 you're a fan you know because you, you're your fans you understand that it's hard to switch that fan brain off, you know, and you're there and you're thinking, well, no, mustn't think that way, mustn't think that way. You know, me and Sean, we often have made discussions. Like, you'll come find a and I'll be like, I'm a bit fanish, 
Oh no, but it's a really good no no, it's Spanish. No, no. <laughs> you know, it's very um Stewie and uh Brian. No, yeah. no. <laughs> you know. I mean, don't get me wrong, we obviously actually happened to reverse to our cover idea and he's like, Oh, it's a bit fanish. It's like mm, is it? <laughs> so we do it anyway. So we save that stuff for the short stories because that's okay, because you know, they're little sound bites, so it's not a big deal. Yeah. You know, oftentimes either of us will cover an idea which is a bit fanish. And I'm like, okay, but can we sustain that over a novel? If we can't, then we don't do it because it just gets stupid, you know. And I think that's sometimes part of our problem with a lot of the earlier New Adventures and the Missing Adventures back in the Virgin days. Obviously, it was fans writing it, and sometimes I think they got a bit carried away with the fans side of things, which was great at the time. But you reread these things, and you're like, oh dear, 20 years later, mm, yeah. possibly not the best call. <laughs> But then again, we thought we were on hiatus, so for indefinitely. Yeah, so. we were. Was it yeah. sixteen years? Yeah. That's well, some something that I think that the enfolded time issue does is it can fix some of the uh, Virgin New Adventure stories in the sense that so we have what we call sidesteps now, yeah. and things that happened in that sixteen-year gap don't necessarily line up to what's happening now. Oh, but knows. if you apply the enfolded time theory to it. It, it yeah. kind of bridged that as well, although the accord sort of makes it seem like there is a definitive uh, 10-year gap-ish that, that kind of, it, it was affected by that. But if you look at it from that same perspective, you could kind of apply that retroactively to some of those sidestep stories as well. Possibly, yeah. I mean, don't, don't forget, a lot of, is it, I mean, there's this guy I know, knew, who, uh, Anytime you mention anything like, oh, but that doesn't make sense of this, and new who stories doesn't make sense of that, and blah, 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 and he's just like, oh, it's time war, isn't it? You know, <laughs> Which I think, in some respects, that's partly why Russell came up with the concept of the time war, to explain the fact that, let's be honest, right, the future as imagined by the old series, which we're now living, it's very clearly not what they imagined. You know, we're living in the early 2000s, which is supposed to be Zoe's time. We don't have a space station up there. Well, we do. But we don't have the wheel in space. Right, we don't have right. things that Zoe apparently had, you know. So maybe that's his way of saying, well, if stuff that don't quite fit, it's okay. Because that time was so huge, it affected so many things, you know. And you could argue, well, you, you, it doesn't matter now, but you could argue that's partly why Unit was so messed up. But obviously, the accord had its part in that. <laughs> so, yeah. But then you might. Well, but that thanks. explains anything post 1990, but it doesn't before that. And so, what you've done is you've kind of taken that, that same time war idea that that changed things between classic and new and fixed what was already a continuity error in classic. Yeah, well, that's why when the accord explains to um, De Brigg. How is the doctor without mentioning by name? Because you're not allowed to mention the doctor. <laughs> um, how the, the, his messing up and they're fixing it because there's a massive war coming, and that's me certainly saying it's actually the time wars getting coming up. Earth has to be stabilized before it gets completely screwed up by this time. So it's nice piecing it together. With I mean, it's tough piecing it together because obviously we've only got certain things we can allow to say. So it's like, how do we do this without getting a slap on the wrist? <laughs> so you've got 
Oh, it's 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 not as easy as it sounds. Well, I'll tell you, it, it hasn't has... worn its welcome. I mean, because the way you guys have skirted around saying the doctor, but still implying who you're talking about, I think you guys have still continued to do a good job of maintaining that recognition of that character without actually having to say his name. It's getting harder. <laughs> it really is. Well, you keep coming up with great new ways to do it, like in this, where the Accord won't let them say the name. Yeah, that was obviously a little sort of like, mm. <laughs> you're not allowed to say it, so you're not allowed to say it, yeah. So you're sort of the Accord in this issue. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to tell anybody this, but I'm not actually really human. <laughs> I have to fix time. Don't tell anybody. Cut this bit out, okay? It's not secret. So I got to ask, just off topic, but since you, since it come has come up, are you human? <laughs> Do you like the Wizard of Oz? Um, oh, I love the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> since you asked. <laughs> Have there been things that you guys have kind of gotten the slap on the wrist? Has anybody from the BBC come and knocked on the door and said, uh, you're going to have no, to... No, we've played it very carefully. You have to. I mean, obviously, we have to because, you know, we don't... Because, you know, we're all about respect at the end of the day. You know, we can't... I mean, we're aware of what we can and can't do. But obviously, we don't talk about it so much because it's irrelevant. But we are very aware. But... But bottom line, as I keep talking to all of the officers about when they're like, oh, can I do this? Can I do that? I'm like, well, we could probably get, we could probably get away with it. We could get away with it probably more than people realize. But let's not do it because it's disrespecting the BBC. You know, and it's more about respect than what can you get away with. You know what I mean? Because that's almost childish in a sense. Like, oh, can we get away? Let's do it because we can get away with it. He, he, he. Whereas it's like, well, let's not do it and be respectful instead. You know what I mean? Why? You know, because... We don't want to get the wrath of the bee. Don't be silly. <laughs> I mean, who'd want that? Um, but no, it's respect. That's what it comes down to. You know, if we can, if we respect what they're doing and respect them as a company and blah blah blah, then obviously it's going to pay off for everybody. You know, and also, frankly, it gives us more of a challenge creatively to do it in a clever way than just doing the easy way. You know, and I'd rather challenge myself and the other authors than just say, "Yeah, just do that." Yeah, yeah. and it's more fun for the readers too because yeah. then it becomes much more. You're like, oh, that's that's quite smart because then you have to think, oh, how are they going to deal with that? As opposed to, oh, they're just going to do that, you know. So, I prefer creativity to the easy solution anyway. You know, he says making it for the time being a very straightforward solution, really. <laughs> so sometimes I, I contradict myself. Sometimes I may be human after all. <laughs> <laughs> So when you when you when you sit down to one of the things, and I, I just mentioned this in the review, that one of the things that I thought was especially cool was not that. I mean, obviously, as you said, it's for the fans. The unfolded time it kind of fixes things for fans, but the fact that you did tie it into the time war, and we'll, we'll put air quotes around that, since I'm sure you probably couldn't physically say time war. Probably could. You can't. You can't copyright name words. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's two words together. You can't really, you know. But again, respect, isn't it? Yeah. 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 But, you know, t just taking and tying it into that concept that you, you not only fixed it as a fan issue, you fixed it within the confines of, of the story of the of the brig and, and what's going on with his life and within the confines of the show and then tied it up with the time war. And I mentioned that this just felt like, you know, kind of a great big tent pole to stick right in the middle of it and go, aha, 
that there's a legitimate reason for doing this versus just, yeah, I fixed that, as some of the early Virgin New Adventures went, look what I did, even though they may not have had a real need for it. And that's one of the things that I really appreciated about the story was that it it just worked on mm. every level imaginable for me. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? You can, I mean, again, I keep going back to the fan thing, and we are all fans at the end of the day, so obviously there's certain things and perceptions and biases we have, but I can't do what I'm doing as a fan. I mean, I could, but then we'd only ever sell a very limited number of copies to just the fans, and that's just career suicide. Um, I've completely forgotten where I was going now. It is early. Um, well, tentpoling this series and having a bigger reason yeah, for it. Yeah, that's it. Basically, yeah, there has to be a good story reason. You know, everything has to be about the story. If it develops a character, then let's do it. If it develops a story or a plot element, we'll do it. But if it's just a fan thing, then I'll leave that for the minor Easter eggs, if you like, because then it doesn't matter. Fans will get it, nice. If they don't get it, it doesn't matter. But a story stands. Um, so, yeah. As I say, it has to. It has to be about the story. It has to be about advancing what we're doing, you know, as opposed to just doing it just because we can. But obviously, with the unit thing, it's like, well, we've got the brig, and he's clearly central to the whole thing. So we are in the position. If anyone's going to just go for it, you know, we've got him. Let's do it because he's the one who affects the most. So you know, what the heck? Why not? But again, like we say, because this is very much for a fan. That's why, again, it's a short story. It would part of the Habit Files. If it had been a book idea, which was... I did originally toy with doing it as a novel, but I don't know, maybe that would have been too far because it would have been a bit too fanish. It would have been a lot harder to maintain had been a full novel, you know, as a concept. So, although, again, we had all kinds of different ways of maybe playing it out and stuff, but I think as a short story works better. You don't go too far of it. You know, you don't indulge too much. Do you have plans? It kind of just in the back of your head somewhere for the accord to come back and No, that was it pretty much. Um but again, you know, things can change. You know, so a new idea may come to me. I'm not sure what else I'll do with them though. Because they were clearly designed as a They were basically the fans saying, right, this is the problem, let's sort it out, you know. Um and I don't think I want the fans to visit too often because the big might just have to say, just your injunction, go away. You know. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I don't think I've got anything planned more for the Accord. But we'll see. You know, nothing's impossible. I mean, another thing, of course, um, the Employee Time was very much about is expanding his family, which I'm sure you guys spoke as well. Because obviously on TV now, Thanks to recent years, we now at least know Kate exists. We know she's got two kids. Um, so at least we know he's got more actual family. And I'm very much like, well, it's, it always seemed odd that you've got this guy who's lived a long life, and by the time he's died, he's just got an ex-wife and a wife, and now a daughter. It's like, that's, it's, he must have a family out there. That's nonsense. You know, I mean, how lonely is he by the end of his life, if that's the case? So I thought, okay, let's see if we can expand the family and make it work again. You know, it's kind of like the whole thing with James. Um, the original—I'm not sure if I mentioned this last time—but the Forgotten Son was 
based on ideas I had for this uh, missing adventure thing I wrote. Was it a new adventure? Actually, it might be the Eighth Doctor. Whatever. Anyway, it was this novel I wrote way back, um, where the, you learn about James in 1997. And in hindsight, I know that if that had been the case, then people wouldn't have been happy with me because, like, what? All these years, we've never mentioned his brother, really. But the fact that I could do it right at the beginning of his story, you could sell it more, you know. So bringing in, like, say, his son or whatever, you have to find a way to make it work, with it, but not make it too late, because obviously, it's like if, um, you know, if Kate turned up now and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've had so-and-so my entire life, and you're like, well, it's never mentioned, ever. It's kind of like... I don't know, for instance, I'm introducing a best friend of Amy for one episode who's never, ever, 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 ever mentioned before. (laughs) (laughs) Tough sell. Tough sell. (laughs) You know, for instance. I'm on the episode next, you see, so um, it's it's in my head. I was just going to say, it's not uncommon for children to be unknown to parents. Well, Especially in that sort of situation, the way you couched it. It's totally believable. You think? I think so. Yeah? Cool. She never told him. You would never know. How would yeah. it? Well, that worked. What, you mean with Albert and that? Yeah, yeah. with Albert. That's what oh, I yeah, meant. Yeah. You meant Mel's. Oh, yeah, with Albert. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, no, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, again, it's trying to find a way to make it. But it had to be early enough in his timeline for it to work later. Because if, if Albert turned up, say, for instance when he's Sir Alistair and he's on his deathbed, then it'd be like, mm, it's a harder sell. And also a bit of a cliche. But if you bring him in earlier, then you get a chance to build it up. So by the time Sir Alistair dies, he's had 20 years or whatever with a son. So you get to really develop something interesting. Plus, of course, the fun thing is, between Battlefield and the Sarah Jane Adventures, not counting the books and the audios, we've seen nothing of the Brigadier on TV. Right. So we've got literally 20 years of his life we know absolutely nothing about. And that could be fun. You know, so that's, that's good for short stories and stuff. So we can always dive, delve into bits and pieces here and there. Speaking so, of Zorus, she's the woman that he's married to, obviously by the time Battlefield comes around. Yep, yep. So where does the brigadier from this from the 1990s start from at that point because obviously this version has not been reunited with Thor uh, uh, Thor yet um, in my head until it's on paper that's all it is um, <laughs> again it, it comes to do I want to acknowledge the novels that have been before if I do then it's going to be at sometime around 95 I believe because downtime, as I recall, the book leads into him reuniting with Doris. And apparently, because Battlefield apparently is set in 97, according to Ben Aronovich. Actually, he wrote it, so if that's what he says, sure, that's fine. Sure. Um, so between downtime and Battlefield, they meet again and get married. So this is... Um, but, as I always say, we're not bound by everything that's already been released if we were it would limit us in same ways and a lot of these books aren't available anyway so would it make sense to be bound by stuff that majority of the new fandom will never ever read no because you'd, you'd lose readers and that's just silly right. 
So, in our timeline, there's nothing to say you can't meet her earlier, because on TV, we don't know. As long as we don't contradict TV, then I'm not that bothered too much. You know, if we respect the other material, then obviously we'll do our best to do so. But So, yeah, um, if I take into account downtime, apparently it's sometime between night five and night seven. Okay. It could happen. It you know. works. It, it could happen. And you're the downtime guy, right? Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't trying to trap you there. <laughs> so to think about this, just 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 play along here. So okay, okay, I'm, I'm with you, Gordon. Ten years down the road. Yeah, we're, we're at yes. Galley. When we're all in our fifties, yes. Yeah, and we're yeah. at Gallifrey One, <laughs> and you've got in the main ballroom, you've got three thousand people. Mm-hmm. And we're bringing you out on stage. How dare you do that? As here's the man who fixed unit dating, and the crowd goes nuts. What? What does that? What does that do for you? That wow. Jeez, imagine that. I'm hoping by then I'll be humble enough to be like, well, thank you very much. Right now I'm thinking, oh my god. <laughs> I mean, it's not false humility. It's just like, whoa, that's just kind of crazy. If I allow myself to enjoy it for a moment, I'll be like, hey, 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 hey go <laughs> me. I think it'd be yeah, at the moment, thinking ahead. There's all there's three different levels. There's a oh dear. There's a lot of me thinking, oh thanks guys. I'm sorry, thinking <laughs> in your face. Um, so one of these three emotions will dominate by that point if that happened. Uh, gosh, imagine that. That'd be weird. I'd have a great beard and everything. That'd be very strange. A bit like yours, Sean. Yeah, it's uh, it's coming uh, out. <laughs> I, I think it's strange every time I look in the mirror. It's like, what well, is yes, that? You just got it on the side, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, that's quite good. I've got it just in the middle there. You can't really see it. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> Keith, you need a beard, mate. You're right yeah, <laughs> it, the just, wife doesn't like it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. She, she doesn't like beards. She won't even listen to their house because we have a beard. So. <laughs> it's like, stay out there. <laughs> you stay out. <laughs> we go to pick him up for things and we're on the stoop. <laughs> Can Keith come out and play? Okay. No, we need to shave. Okay. <laughs> anyway, let, let's talk a little bit about stuff coming up. Uh, next one in line is Moon Blink by Sadie Miller, correct? Yes, indeed. And that's coming out shortly. So yeah, get- it's. it's- do any time now. We're literally waiting back for the printers. As soon as we get it back, then obviously we will ship it out. Um, hopefully, we should get it back within two weeks. Usually it's quicker, but apparently printers are having a very, very busy period. So obviously, like any business, you have to put things in order. And you can't just jump the queue just because people want hard book first. You know, if we could, we would. Um, obviously, because we want it on our shelves as well. Um, so yeah, that's coming very, very soon. And so you guys com- just uh, released the artwork for the Showstoppers, right? Yep, yep. Now is uh, that the next one in queue? That's the next one. Yep, that's currently being going through fine proofing as well. We're way ahead of the game this year. <laughs> Last year was a nightmare, so this year we're way ahead of the game. <laughs> um, but something's going to go wrong soon because it's been too good so far. Um, yeah, that's the next one. That's um, it's a interesting story. It's quite surreal in places, but as the press release has made very clear, it is a slight pastiche of Doctor Strange Love. So it's quite surreal in places. And John Cooper has got a very 
unique imagination. <laughs> I've done it a few years now, and I can say that. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it goes in some very fun places. It also introduces, which is very key, another one of our main cast, because we're building up our own cast of four, the main, who will be in pretty much every book from next year. So another main cast member gets introduced in Cooper's Showstoppers. But I'm not telling you who this person is, because we'll let you read it, and then maybe by the end you'll work it out before you get there. But by the end, you'll be like, ah, oh, yeah. And hopefully <laughs> you will enjoy this character, because this character is a lot of fun. And you notice I'm not mentioning whether it's male or female. Ah. It's not yeah. I'm not giving you a name. And well, then yeah. you tease us ahead beyond that. Uh, beyond that, we've got Grandfather Infestation, which is the third book. The Cult for Witch has been done. That arrived uh, last week, and it is stunning. Ah. Uh, it is exactly what I wanted. Exactly what I wanted. It is now my possibly my favorite cover so far. Not to demean the others, because the others are all fantastic as well. But personal favorite, you know, it's maybe it's, it's because it's exactly what I had in mind. So it's become a like, yeah. <laughs> I, I really, really like that cover. But again, like I say, you know, um, Richard done a great job of showstoppers. Is what we asked for. Um, Adrian does wonderful work like with Moonbling, Skits of Earth and Dominator stuff So, and then we've got more stuff next uh, end of this year which we can't announce, well I could announce but I'm not allowed to so I better not um, which are all being written at the moment by again three people new to the range uh, so this year literally other than short stories nobody who wrote for us last year is writing for us this year it's all new people which next year is more or less the same. So wow. We are, I mean, it's, in, it's important, I think. It's like it used to be back in the old virgin days. You, it's good, to, you need to get new talent in, because if it's just the same old writers all the time, then eventually the same ideas are going to get recycled, and then you're going to get really fanished because you get caught up in the fun of it, and you lose track of what you're doing. So, question. Outside of Brigadier and Anne, obviously, who's your favourite character? Hmm. Mm. I know you're going to say probably, but I just want you to tell Well, you. I'd have to go with Professor Travers. I like yeah, him I think a lot. I would too. Uh, okay. Because, especially since your guys' series has kind of fleshed out the character, because the, the most we'd known about him was from the three entries we'd had before, including downtime. I also think uh, Chorley's become a fast favourite of mine. Uh, I think, as I, I mentioned one time before, I, just, I really despised the character in Web of Fear. And I think you're meant to. I mean, it's, it's well, meant course, to be course. set it's up that way. And, guys. Exactly. exactly. And there's, they try to give a little bit of redemption at the end. But I think uh, Mutually Assured Domination really, really uh, endeared me to the character. I think that that, that was really well done uh, in how that was done. And, and goes further to kind of redeemed Chorley for the things that he did or the, or the way he acted. Uh, in the thing about Chorley I find, I mean, he's still intrinsically an idiot. <laughs> not in a stupid sense. I mean, it's sort of right, like, right. dude, shut up. You know, um, but he's a journalist who's out for a story and obviously he got carried away with the web of fear and now, but he's, because he's obviously pursuing this stuff a bit doggedly, he's digging himself deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I think he sees it, but he doesn't quite know how to get out of it anymore. And of course, because he's so you know dog of a bone kind of person, that 
he's dragging other people in with him. You know, it's like, oh, help me out here. Oh, I've ruined your career. Sorry, but it's okay because I've got some more information on this now. Right. Which you know, it doesn't make him a bad character. It makes him interesting. But also, as you say, we explore a little bit of why he's like that. Well, I don't think he hides his motivations either. I mean, I think as and as he does it, you sort of see some remorse in the character. But it also because it achieves a greater means. He almost he almost. Uh, vindicates himself for that you know he sort of says okay well like you said i got what i needed for the story so it kind of he's he's vindicated or he is uh, vindicated in his own eyes yeah in his own eyes yeah which is good because again like you know good or bad people characters as long as they're interesting that's that's the key you know i mean as long as they're not characters you read or watch whatever and you just hate them because you're not interested but as long as they're interesting, then whether they're a nice person or not, you can still stick with them because you still want to know more of why they're like this or how are they going to get out of it this time or how much further are they going to get into it this time. You know, so you can sort of like, are uh, you idiot? You should just shut up and you have a chance. But yeah, Charlie's a lot of fun. He's back, um, he's back in Showstoppers and in Grandfather Infestation to a lesser degree. And then he's not in it for a little while. Because, again, you can only run the story of him pursuing a brigadier for so long before it gets a bit, obviously, and just like, yeah, okay, it's getting a bit contrived now. Right. Um, and obviously we've got a long-term plan with it, so it has to be played slowly and not all the time. Uh, so, yeah, but I like Chorley. But, again, the good thing about Chorley is we've now got these subsidiary characters connected to him, like Larry Green, of course, who... Um, who's very much like Charlie, but a nicer version of it. Yeah. The Brigadier pointed out, he seems a much more together guy, and yeah, he looks very much like him. Curious. <laughs> um, I'm working on a novella actually that's going to explain, which originally was called When Harry Met Larry. You know, that's, <laughs> that was the word title. It's never going to be that. Um, so we finally get Harry and Larry together, so we can explore a little bit of why they're quite alike and. You know, what does Larry think, still think about Chorley having his career almost destroyed by Chorley just because he helped him out? And has uh, Chorley learnt this and been a bit more respectful? Is he still going to keep dragging this guy down? You know, plus we've got a third journalist we brought into the mix who's a very young one, he's in a Sadie's book. Uh, so it's going to be the three of them together. So it's going to be an interesting, you've got the, you've got, you've got the, dogged Charlie's obsessed with finding out the truth but Larry's like I don't want to be part of this because I just want to actually be a successful journalist and you've got little Charlie who's like I'll do whatever because I'm young and I'm, I'm cool I'm happy I'm my so yeah that's going to be quite a fun one to play out and I know Keith has said before that he likes uh, Bishop a lot right yeah I do I do like Bishop a lot ah, Bishop is very cool he turned out to be a really he's one of those runaway characters where you because he, he wasn't a huge part of Forgotten Son, but even when I'm writing now, I was thinking, yeah, I like this guy. He's just a nice, you know, affable, fun, you know, good soldier as well. And He kind of feels like Benton so far. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He's our, he basically is our Benton, but with actual character. But, you know... Apart from a very few stories, it wasn't much character, really. 
he had his little moments, but nothing, you know. But that that's pretty much indicative of TV back in the day, you know. But unless you're an actual lead character, you don't really get to know a great deal about them. You know, he was just the foil to the brig, and that's pretty much all he was, you know. Um, but yeah, Bishop, I love Bishop. He's a fun character to write. And everybody, the good thing about Bishop, I find, is everybody who's writing for us seem to get him very quickly. So that's fun too. So I have I have a lot of plans for Bishop. I mean, for the time, didn't he? So you learn, a, you had a few hints of what happens between where we're at now and where we're going to be at way, way, yes, way. Yes. Yeah. See, that's, that was a tough one as well. When you write a story that's set, what, 20 years later or 10 years later, depending on how you look at it. Um, it's like how much can I give away without spoiling or locking us down to having to do it so that was that was a very tough joke I want to mention this because if I mention this now then that has to happen you know if I don't mention it then I can do what I want to do later (laughs) (laughs) that was a tough one especially with Bishop because again he's an unknown character in that sense no one knows where he's going except me um, so that was fun but yeah I, I do like Bishop a lot he's a lot of fun so uh, I know we all have enjoyed Tom Dexter's short stories mm. uh, when's he going to write a full blown one well, full blown novel see. we shall see um, yeah a lot of people will be asking about that uh, I'm not saying it's not happening but we'll see we'll see nothing's written down yet um yeah, again, it's one of these things. And if some, this is kind of why we do the short stories is to test the ground with newer authors. And if if they get a good reception, then we'll start talking to them about okay, look, people enjoy what you do, but does that can you write a novel? Because not because I think Gary Russell once said this to me, and I absolutely agree. Every write a screenplay, short story, novel, comic, whatever, they're all very dis- different disciplines. And just because you do one doesn't necessarily mean you can do them all. Or it doesn't mean you can do more than one or whatever. And some people are really good at short stories. It doesn't necessarily mean they'll be good to be able to tell a story out over a novel and vice versa. So we do our short stories, get new people involved. Um, and if they get a lot of great reception, then we'll discuss and see if we can work out a, short, a long-form book with them. You know, again, it might not be able to work out. It may just not have that discipline. And if, but if they do, then obviously we'll pursue it because people want to read it, and that's good for everybody. So it may happen. He's certainly shown leanings towards that. So you know, don't count it out yet. If it happens, then obviously you'd be like, "I knew it." If it doesn't happen, <laughs> say, "Oh, Andy, you do mislead us." <laughs> that's fine too. <laughs> Well, Andy, I think we're going to wrap up the conversation here so we don't go too long. And Well, if you hang around, we're going to have you uh, help us close out the show. But first of all, uh, Sean, what are we going to come up on the schedule? Well, coming up next on the schedule, we have uh, the Traveling the Vortex Book Club selection for the month of April, which is uh, The Stone Rose by Jacqueline Rayner. And we will be giving our reviews of that next week's show. Uh, but before that happens, we'll be finishing up Friday Night Who next week at uh, Friday at midnight. We are going to finish... The Ambassadors of Death, which is the final three parts of that story. So five, seven, or five, six, and seven. All right. Uh, is there anything else? Oh, uh, be sure to obviously vo- uh, visit some of our uh, show links on the 
uh, web page. Uh, we have some great sponsors up there. And if you're uh, not supporting us on Patreon, please consider doing so. And if you are, we continue to thank you for doing so. Every bit of that uh, money goes right back into this podcast and keeps it going and, and keeps us able to get people like uh, Andy on our show and uh, uh, chat with us about uh, fun things going up. You get to hear new things that are coming out from uh, that area as well. Uh, is there anything else that uh, we need to chat about before we uh, turn this one loose, guys? I don't believe so. All right. Well, Andy, thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, Andy. Thank you. And uh, if that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. And I'm Andy. <laughs> Cheers. Boys, let's do that. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Good night, everybody. Goodbye. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.